Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Jesus. What an incredible time of worship that we just experienced. It's so great to hear the voices come together of of one church, even though we're in multiple locations right now. Here at our Evans campus or at our Sherwood campus, those of you literally all over the world online, singing one truth and one song together to one God, because he is great. Amen? When we say, great are you, Lord, it's a truth that we can hang on to, not only in this season of life, but each and every day of our lives. Well, today we're starting not only a new series, but we're walking into a new season here at Journey and in our church. We're walking into an Advent season. We thought of, there's really no better way to start something new than through prayer. So in a moment, what we want to do is we want to pray together as a church. And I simply want you to listen to the words of this prayer. So whether you are, whether you're here in our auditorium or atrium or watching online, we ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and just simply listen to this prayer together. God of hope, who brought love into this world, be the love that dwells between us. God of hope, who brought peace into this world, be the peace that dwells between us. God of hope, who brought joy into this world, be the joy that dwells between us. God of hope, the rock we stand upon, be the center, the focus of our lives always and particularly in this Advent season. Amen. Advent, it's a word that you may have heard before. Maybe today's the first time you've heard it. For some, for some of you, you've been shopping the last couple days or weeks, or maybe even online, you've seen these things called Advent calendars. Maybe you've gotten your kids an Advent calendar. For those of you who have kids in Journeyland, you've got an Advent calendar and projects for them. If not, you can still get one today. But Advent's a word that you may have heard before. Maybe you grew up in a traditional church like my wife did, and I was talking to her this morning about what did Advent look like for you and your church growing up, and she said that every, every Sunday leading up to Christmas Eve, there was a prominent family in that church, and maybe they had served all year long, they were faithful, they had been there for a while, and that family would walk forward and they would light part of an Advent candle. Or maybe today, Advent's the first time you've heard that word. So what we want to do is kind of put all of us on the same playing field. And here's what Advent means. Advent means the expectation of the coming or arrival of an important person. You have an expectation of someone coming or arriving that's important. Now, last week on Thursday or Wednesday or maybe even Tuesday, you may have had an expectation of family members arriving in this city or in this house that you have prepared meals for. Maybe because of COVID last year, you weren't able to see them. So you had this expectation built up of someone coming for the first time in a while. Others of you, you may have had some stress and anxiety for them coming, but that's a whole other series and a whole other story. But Advent is having an expectation of a very important person is coming. And during this season, as a church, as believers, we have an expectation of celebration of the fact that Jesus came to this world. And we have an expectation that in just a couple weeks on Christmas Eve, we're going to celebrate the greatest gift given to man, and that is the Son of God being Jesus. So Advent is us expecting him, the arrival of Jesus. And Advent, if you know anything about Advent, and even if you don't, those who celebrate it, there's usually an Advent wreath, and there's four different candles surrounding one candle in the middle. These four candles on the outside represent hope, faith, joy, and peace. 
And in the very middle, you have a white candle that represents the one thing that holds all those things together and brings true hope, true faith, true joy, and true peace, and that's Jesus. And today, we as a church, we're going to build the foundation of Advent on our first candle. And our first candle is hope. To be honest with you, it's a word that a lot of us have in our lives, but we're not quite sure if we have the right kind of hope. You see, that candle is also associated with the word prophecy. It's a hope candle, but it's also the prophecy candle because prophecies in the Old Testament coming true give people hope. Prophecies all throughout the Old Testament have given people hope. Here's what scripture tells us about hope in Romans chapter 5. It says, hope does not put us to shame. You see, worldly hope sometimes can put us to shame because it doesn't come to pass. But it says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, he's been given to us. See, oftentimes we confuse worldly hope with heavenly hope. Worldly hope is simply defined as this, wishful thinking. So we put our hope in, oh man, I, I hope I'm going to get a Christmas bonus this year. Or I hope that I can get this present. Or I hope, you know what, when I wake up Christmas morning, it's just like the commercials. There's a Lexus with a bow on top of it. <laughs> it's wishful thinking, right? That's worldly hope. But biblical hope is completely different than worldly hope. It's not wishful thinking. In fact, biblical hope is secure assurance. Because you know that it's true and it's going to happen. You can put your hope in it and you can feel secure assurance when you have biblical hope. We can find biblical hope when we put our trust in a trustworthy God. You see, what he says and has claimed that's going to happen has happened and will continue to happen. That's why the hope candle is also associated with the prophecies of the Old Testament. Hope and prophecies coming true go hand in hand. It gives people secure assurance. You see, hope's important. Because there's going to be trials in your life. There's going to be moments in your life where you don't have much hope. The wishful thinking of the world goes away. But when you have Jesus in your life, you can still have secure assurance that he's going to get you through it one way or the other on this side or that side of eternity. So what do some of these prophecies look like? You see, in ancient times, in the Old Testament times, God had these prophets, these people who he would talk to and say, hey, go tell the people this. Go tell the people of Israel this is going to happen. And it would give them a little bit of hope because they weren't quite sure what was going to happen. He would say, hey, go tell them this. So here's some prophecies that we see some fulfillment of that gives us hope. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this is the Old Testament. This is before Jesus was even born. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We see the fulfillment of that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with a child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. He says, hey, this is going to happen. And then in the New Testament, he says, here it is. It's going to happen right here. Another prophecy is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The fulfillment of that is in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. It says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. Later on in that verse, it says, That the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And in Luke chapter 12, 
For there is born to you this day the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You see, these prophecies, these things that were said to happen came true. And because they came true, they had hope, secure assurance in Jesus. We just sang about it a minute ago. You're going to do it because you've already done it. If you put your hope in Jesus, you have secure assurance that he is going to do it. He's going to do it again. Now this Christmas season we're walking into is one that if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we're starting to panic a little bit. The gift that our kids wanted is out of stock. Who knows where it is? Gas prices are going higher. We don't know if we can afford gifts. We're not quite sure what our job looks like in 2022. What are we going to do? All this anxiety, all this stress is entering our lives because we've put our hope in the world and it's just wishful thinking, hoping things were going to work out. But if we change what we've put our hope in, everything changes. If we put our hope in Jesus, we have secure assurance that he's going to take care of us. Whether it's the way we want or not, he is going to take care of us. So can we put those things to the side for the next couple weeks? You see, the next couple Sundays, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about those four things leading up to Christmas Eve to celebrate Jesus. Today, we're talking about hope, the foundation of what he brought to us. Then we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about joy, the one thing we wish we all had each and every day. And then we're going to talk about peace, something that our world needs so badly. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to put it all together and talk about the son of Jesus, who is the center focus of all of those things. So our encouragement to each and every one of us here is today. Can you put the hope of the world, wishful thinking to the side, and put the hope in Jesus of secure assurance? And that preparation, that expectation, that advent of Jesus coming will give us that hope in our lives. Now before we get into today's message, I simply want us to pray together again. That same prayer that we just started with, a prayer of hope over our lives. Because God is the center focus of that hope. So let's pray together. God of hope who brought love into this world, be the love that dwells between us. God of hope who brought peace into this world, be the peace that dwells between us. God of hope who brought joy into this world, be the joy that dwells between us. God of hope, the rock we stand upon, be the center, the focus of our lives always, and particularly in this Advent season. Amen. Thanks, Caleb, for just setting the foundation. Hope, let me give you a practical working definition. It's the expectation and desire of something great that's going to happen. We we, we understand, and we also understand this, that there's nothing that's great in our life that happens that we haven't hoped for. There hasn't been something inside of us. If you're a Braves fan, you understand hope, don't you? Um, I was thinking through this. Pretty spectacular uh, couple weeks uh, if you're an Atlanta Braves fan. Um, I I dare not even talk about the Bulldogs yet, okay? Because I have hope. (sighs) But I don't know if you all remember, if you even watched it. But a couple weeks ago, the Braves won the World Series. I watched them walk through the Los Angeles Dodgers. I was sitting there that night, and uh, there's always moments in my life where I go, I remember that moment. 
I'll remember this moment for the rest of my life. I have a group of guys that are in a text message thread. We call ourselves the bullpen. Pretty good, huh? Don't you steal it. Start your own. But Caleb is in that, that bullpen, and Caleb messaged uh, all of us. I think we were up three or four nothing at that point, and he said, don't anybody move. And if you know anything about, like, superstition, you know what I'm talking about, right? I haven't washed the, the shirt that, I, that I've worn uh, every Georgia Bulldog game this year. I haven't washed it, and it's starting, to, it's starting to crawl by itself. It's starting to wiggle a little bit, but we're not going to wash it for another couple weeks, right? But I was sitting there. And I'm watching the game, and he says, don't anybody move. And the weird thing is I have my hand in my pocket, and I had to pee. And I can't move because I know the rules of the game. And so I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, sitting there, finally, you know, at the end of the game. I, but I don't know about you guys, but this is what happened with me. Like, I was there, like, when Solar hit the ball, you know, out of the ballpark. And, and when we were sitting, watched Dansby hit the ball, like, completely, like, and, and just to let you know, I've been a brace. I know I'm a Yankee. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm from New Jersey, but I hated the Philadelphia Phillies, and I hated the Yankees. Because they were from the Northeast, and I just, well, the truth of the matter is, in, in, in April of 1974, anybody know what happened in April of 1974? One of the biggest things that ever happened in Atlanta Braves history. My dad let me stay up late to watch the game. It was, the, it was against the Pittsburgh Pirates, Three River Stadium, and Henry Aaron hit number 714. And I was about eight, eight years old, nine years old, and the fact that my dad let it let me stay up late to watch it. I became a Braves fan instantly. So this past couple of weeks have been a culmination of a lot of years. We don't even think about the 90s because, well, we should have won about 40 of them, but we didn't. But so I was sitting there and I went to bed and I know I heard other people in the first service, people are going crazy. Like, cause you, I woke up at like four o'clock in the morning and turned on ESPN and I looked at my app to make sure that they really won. Like it was a dream come true. Like it was almost like a fantasy for a few minutes. You know what I'm talking about in real life too, right? I have a friend of mine that was deployed in Iraq for about 12 months. Wife and kids, he comes to church here. And he said to me one time, uh, very little communication, but he communicated one time. He goes, I can't stand this anymore. This is killing me. I, I, I want to wake. I long, I pray that I'll wake up next to my wife again. And I, I pray and, and I wake up that somehow or another my kids can make a phone call like he's in the middle of nowhere. And I remember, I remember the day he called me and he said, listen, I just got my orders and I'm coming back stateside and I have to do some, you know, like desensitization. I don't know what they call that. You know, like he had to be dehumanized. I don't know what they do. But he said, he said, but once I get home, he said, I can't wait to hug my wife and my kids. And about a week into it, this is what he, he, this is what he said to me. He goes, every night when I was laying in bed with my wife, every Every morning when the kids jumped in the bed, every time somebody made me a cup of coffee that would live in my house, I had to pinch myself because I felt like it was a dream come true. I want you to do me a favor real quick. And some of it's, some of it's gonna be way difficult. Some of you, it's gonna be just like yesterday. But I want everybody to think back when you were a kid, when you were innocent. And when you had those dreams of Christmas morning waking up and that, that present was sitting underneath the tree. Now for everybody in first service, I didn't do this, but... On the count of three, I want you to tell me what that gift was, okay? So one, two, three. What was that gift? One, two, three. I didn't hear a single one of them. But for me, it was a drum set. And I was pretty open and honest. My mom and dad didn't make a lot of money. My dad worked three and four jobs just to put food on the table. Never missed one of our games. Never missed soccer or baseball. He did everything he could, but there was no way I was getting a drum set. 
But I went to bed that night, eight or nine years old. I went to bed thinking, I'm getting a drum set in the next morning. And I had hope. I had hope it was going to be there. And I remember the feeling when I walked downstairs, and I remember looking at the Christmas tree, and there was no drum set there. And I remember the disappointment. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. The disappointment of that not being there. And then I also remember we had opened up all our presents, and my dad takes me into another room, and there is the drum set. Hope. Hope. See, as a believer, if you call yourself a believer, and I've learned this, it's not about the presence, it's about the present. It's about what happened a couple thousand years ago, that I have hope because of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, it talks about that, right? That unto you a child is born, the city of David, Bethlehem. And for thousands of years, there was all these prophecies. They were lining up for the greatest moment in the course of history, Jesus being born. They had hope for thousands of years. And there was hope, joy, realistically displayed in front of them. Over the last couple months, I've been reading through one passage of Scripture. I do it a lot. For a long time, it was Psalms 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's a, a scripture that I was pondering for uh, just about every morning for about six or seven months. But the last couple of months, I've been in Psalms 126. And, and, and if you want to know the truth, the reason I've been in it, because I've been in a season that there hasn't been a lot of hope. You ever get in a season like that? And there's not a lot of joy. And there's not a lot of expectation. And, and I know that as a pastor, I know that as a believer, that I have to put my hope in the right things. But sometimes life just gets you, doesn't it? And so I've been reading through the, the Psalm 126. And what I'm realizing, this is a passage about hope turning into joy. L let me read it to you real fast. Psalms 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. It's right there. That, that's the whole idea where a dream comes true. They were wandering around for years and years and years, and they'd heard all the stories, and they say it was like a dream came true. All of a sudden, everything that they expected, everything that they heard about, everything they thought was about to come true. And then if you go down to verse 2, it says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes. Oh, Lord, like streams in the Negev, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And today, all I want to do for the next couple moments is just peel that back. And what is hope? Realistically, what does hope look like? Let's have a practical working idea of how hope works. And one of the very first things that we all got to get, it's the baseline for everything we're going to talk about, is we always have a place. If you call yourself a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we always have a place to put our hope. There's always a place to put our hope. We are never, being a faithful, we are never without hope. Even if things are bad. The, see, here, can I just, can I be real practical today for a second? I, I became a believer in 1982. And they didn't let me read the fine print. I would have still done it because my life has been great. I, 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 it's exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or imagine. That's how God has blessed me. But there's also been times of absolute tragedy. There's been times that I, I don't understand. There's been times of depression and anxiety, and I battle some of the same things over and over again. 
And, 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 and we've, we've been sold this bill of goods that if you're a believer, that everything's gonna be fine. And let me tell you, that's not the truth. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that everything's gonna suck either. Yes, we say suck at church here at Journey, okay? Like some of you are like, he said suck. Man, that's calm today. Just. But we, we act like, wow, what's the sin in my life? If I, it's not sin in your life, it's the sin in the world. It's because of sin that we go through the things we go through. Let's never forget that. And, and honestly, I used to do this, and maybe you used to do this. Well, I'm a faith follower. It should never happen to me. It should happen to so-and-so who is not a faith follower. And that's, that's the farthest thing from the truth. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 5 kind of, kind, of, kind of defines this. So that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. Watch this. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. You know what that means? Listen to me on this. We all have problems. Everybody in this room, we have problems. Every one of us has to go through. Listen, the last two years, if they haven't taught us anything else, is COVID has leveled the playing field of everybody. That I don't care if you're old or young, if you're healthy or not healthy, somehow or another, COVID has impacted you. It leveled the playing field. We all have problems. You wanna know what else? We're all gonna experience loss. We only wanna talk about that. But every one of us in this room, this is what was said about COVID, the first batch of COVID. Everybody knows, um, or everybody who's heard of somebody that's had COVID. The second batch when it came through was everybody knows somebody that's got COVID. And, and here's the deal, it has gotten even further. Now it's this, everybody probably in this room, or most everybody in this room, knows somebody that died of COVID. Everybody's experienced loss. One of the things, it's, 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 it's leveled the playing field. How about this? We have all experienced or will experience a health crisis of some sort. We all have seasons in our life with disappointment and despair. We don't want to talk about these in church because we're, well, we're not supposed to be. No, that's the exact opposite. James, count it pure joy when struggles of many kinds come your way. That means you're going to have struggles. I'm going to have struggles. But I have hope. I, I've said this before. I don't know how, how people without Jesus make it in this world. I don't know how they go through all the stuff that we've gone through over the last couple of years. Here's what we need to understand. And this is really, really important. As God's people, we need to understand what we see is not what we get, though. This is not all there is on this side of eternity. Listen to me. And, and here's what I want. And this is going to sound, and some of you are going to go, that's... I'm 56 years old, and here's a lesson I've learned. Can I give you a lesson? You remember when you, when you were young, some of you are still young, and an older person walks up, let me tell you what I know. Well, now I'm an old guy, and I'm going to tell you what I know. All right? Most of the problems in our life do not last a lifetime. Most of the problems in our lives don't last a lifetime. And even the ones that do last a lifetime, I have the promise on the other side of eternity that God's going to make it straight. That, that God is going to make everything that's been on. Like, so you, you go through something and you don't understand it. On the other side of eternity, somehow or another, God's going to display why he did what he did. See, our hope has to land in something that's worth hoping for. It, it's, see, we don't do this because we, we do this because we watched a Jesus be crucified and resurrected from the grave. And he, the Bible says, led captivity captive. He's where we want to go. That's the hope we have. I, I love the way it says this in, in the Psalms, and it says, because here's where our hope lies in. And this is what David's saying. 
In verse four, he says, restore our fortunes. Oh Lord, we put our hope in so many different things. But God's, God's the only one that's worthy of putting our hope in. I, I love what it says there, oh Lord, like streams in the Negev. I don't know how many of you guys remember this. Remember a couple years ago, we had all those flash floods. Anybody remember those flash floods? And our, our dam, not a bad word, the dam, was overflowing. And you remember how the banks rose up? And everybody, I mean, there was all kinds of people from all over the world because it was like, it was record flooding that was happening. And now like, that's how he's describing this. Now here in Augusta, there's always the river that runs through, but what he's talking about, this negative, this place was a desert and it was just a kind of a, a, a creek that ran through that was dry most of the time. It was, just, it, was, it was dry like the majority of the time. And then there would be times where extreme flooding and that flooding would rise through the banks and it would take all the silt and it would make great, uh, a great place for them to grow stuff. And so for years, they were able to live off that and then another, another drought would come. See, that's, it. that's how it is with us, isn't it? As believers, there's times where we are in the season of drought, but then there's other times where you know without a shadow of a doubt, the banks of your life are rising up and everything is being fertilized and God is doing great stuff. This, this is how I'll describe it because it's interesting. And hope needs a definition, and maybe a broader definition. Anybody ever take a prescription? Just me. So I have to take several different medicines it's something to do with the amount of Mountain Dew and coffee I drink. <laughs> so, um, but I, <laughs> I, I'm gonna try not to make everybody in our church today lie, okay? How many people read the little piece of paper that comes with it? Nobody, one person, awesome, two people. Well, my assistant, Gretchen, who does a great job, sent me this story, and I was like, well, I need to fact find this story. And what better way to fact find the story? Because I don't want to be telling lies up here a lot. And so I took the little piece of paper out of my prescription. And you know what it says? It says in my prescription, it was, they did a study. They do a study. And they get people like you and me to do a study. Like we're like little mices, like a study. And so what it was showing was, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but the majority of the people were given the real medicine. But there's always a placebo that they give. So there's a certain percentage of the people that get something that's, it's just sugar and, and, and granulated or whatever. There's inert material. And you know what statistics show in a lot of these studies? That the people that take the placebo heal just like the people that take the medication. Now, don't go on or like, that's why we don't do modern medicine. Shut up. That's not what this message is about. But if the, I did say this, if the majority of people are healed then why is the doctor prescribing something for me? Maybe I just need to, well, anyway. You know what it's called? It's called the placebo effect. There's actually a term for it. But you know what I'm realizing? It's not really a placebo effect. It's the effect of hope. And, and maybe the hope is that medicine is going to do the job, and maybe the medicine is going to slow the heart down or not make me have a heart attack or whatever it is. But it's, it's hope. Statistics have shown over and over again, people that have hope live longer during crisis. People that have hope go through crises differently. People that have hope, all the stuff. And it's not hope just in this frivolous thing. It's hope founded in Jesus Christ. I, tell you, I say this, and I may have even said it today already here. I don't know how people that don't have Jesus make it through tough times. It just doesn't make sense to me. 
whether it's emotional or if it's a physical thing or whatever it is, that's the power of hope. There's a passage of scripture, and I'm going to read this to you. It's kind of a long one, but it's a passage of hope. And I would, I would hope that you would write the hope. Did you like that? I, I said that hope. I would hope that you would write it down. And that when you're going through struggles, that this would be a, a verse that you would have maybe in your car, or maybe on your refrigerator. And you just, you would go, okay, this is the one. It's one of my favorites. It says Isaiah chapter 40. You've probably heard it, but if not, it goes like this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God and the creator of the ends of the earth. He, he I love this. He does not faint. He never gets tired. Isn't that so awesome? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases his strength. Verse 30 says, even youths will uh, faint and be weary and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, lots of translation, that word wait is actually the word hope, which means I am putting my trust, I'm stopping everything else I'm doing, and I'm putting that in something that's worth waiting for or hoping for. They that wait upon the Lord, he'll renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will walk and not faint. And that's a powerful passage, powerful, uh, just a demonstration of hope. So I don't know what where you're at right now on that, but, but I want you to know that if you're a believer, you have a place to put hope in, regardless. The second thing is this. Please get this. This is so good. Don't let today's sorrow steal the hope of tomorrow's joy. You know what I have found that happens a lot in our lives? We allow what's going on today to impact what happens tomorrow. And I want you to know this. There's more to this life than today. There's more to this life than tomorrow. There's more to this life than what we see on this side of eternity. There's a promise of a place that God prepared for us before the foundations of the earth, a place that we'll be walking on streets of gold and walking through pearly gates and we'll have a home like a mansion. It's a place that God says he's prepared for us. That's a hope that we have. Today, this is... This is just part, of, and that's the greatest part of Christmas that Christmas itself gives. Of, for for 6,000 years, there was this, this prophecies or these prophecies coming. And on Luke chapter 2, could you imagine what happened that day when they saw the, the, the star come and, and the angels and all the prophecies started coming together? They were like, wow, we get it now. We get it. This is it. This is what we've been looking for for thousands and thousands of years. And verse 5 says this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. If you've heard that before, it's because David writes it in another Psalm, Psalms 30. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, I want to put everything on pause because I can see it in some of your eyes. You're going, you're telling me that I should be, I should be having a party and dancing because my husband or my, my wife died or my, my mother. No, I didn't say that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But you know what happens in our lives because we're human? We allow that to keep us from dancing over other things and, and having, having the joy that God wants us to have over here. This will never be joy-filled. Well, we, we, we may not ever know on this side of eternity why this happened right here. But so many humans, what happens in our lives is we allow this to impact that right there. Come on now. I, I had a friend of mine. I didn't even share this story in the first service, but I had a friend of mine that lost his wife, and he was a young guy. He was my age, so that's a young guy, right? Yes. Yes, you're supposed to say yes. Like, don't even think about it. Just say yes, because you'll be my age one day. And so he, he was telling me that his daughter um, was part of the homecoming court, and she ended up winning. 
And he decided that he wasn't going to go because, because he lost his wife and he wanted his wife to be there and, and celebrate this. And I remember pulling him to a side, don't stop dancing. Please, guys, don't stop dancing. Don't stop dancing ever. I'm not telling you you're going to dance over this right here. But there's graduations and parties and all kinds of things that God's going to put in front of you. And you have to have the hope that God understood what was going on here and then, and then have the joy to walk through the life that God's placed in front of us. There's a passive scripture that bothers me. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why it bothers me. Because I don't like the time period that's being demonstrated here. It says, in this you rejoice. And here it is. Thou, that, though now for a little while. Anybody ever gone through a little while moment? Raise your hand. Anybody in a little while moment right now? This, this year, just to be honest with you, this year's been tough. I've walked through watching my daughter restored, one of my kids, after a really bad relationship. I've watched her come back around. I've watched new houses. I've watched jobs. We've lost some employees. But in the midst of all this, my dad got sick. And the same day my dad was diagnosed with something, I got diagnosed with something. So there's only a couple people that know this. I have a small group of people that were praying with me. My wife knew it, my kids um, but it was one of those deals where I went to the doctor, um, and I'm, I'm convinced that my wife set this up. I got bit by a tick, and it got infected. And I called the doctor up, and I said, can you do me a favor? Can you just, like, antibiotic or something like that? And normally, they would just give me an antibiotic. If I get poison ivy, they just send me. But he said, you know, I think it's a good time for you to come in. We need to see you. And I think that's why my wife called them up. Like, it had been, like, three years since I was in. So when I get there, he goes, oh yeah, that's, the tick's not a problem. That's, that's normal. It's, it's going to be ready for, I'm like, really? So I drove 45 minutes to come to see you and you could have told me with the pictures. And he goes, well, here's the truth. It's been about two years, almost three years that you've been in. So it's a good time for you to do your health screening, which means poked, pricked, and prodded. So checks my heart. I got high blood pressure. Welcome to my world, blah, 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 blah. They do blood tests. Well, that's a joy when somebody sticks a needle this big in your arm. So I'm sitting there, and they take it. And so my doctor says, I'll call you back in a couple days. It's like, okay. Uh, under normal circumstances, I'm not even, it's not even a big deal. I get a phone call. Here's the deal. This is where I knew it was going to go south. It was the doctor himself. Usually it would be a nurse or somebody from the, from the, from the, you know, the screening place. He said, Bobby, I got a little bad news for you. He said, some of your numbers are elevated. So what's that mean, Doc? He goes, well, it means you, you may have cancer. So I go, great. He said, well, don't freak out yet. I said, like, do you realize who you're telling this to? Mr. Freakout right here. So I'm not sleeping for like, you know, a month and a half or two months. It's like, it's a mess. He said, well, I'm going to send you this other doctor, and um, we're going we're to let him check it out. And so I go to the other doctor. And he said, listen, it's going to probably be seven to 10 days before you get the results back. So we are literally going on about four and a half or five weeks of not knowing answers. And I'm going to tell you that blows. Okay. So I get a phone call back. Um, Mr. Smith, we, we believe you have cancer. And so we would like for you to come in and we'd like to talk through the process with you. So they want to do a biopsy. So they do a biopsy and they 
poke a certain organ 12 times doing this biopsy. And um, they said, we'll get you the results back in two to four weeks. So I finally get a phone call, and the phone call goes like this. Mr. Smith, the doctor would like to see you. That's never good. You know that, right? So I go in the doctor's office, and I'm sitting there, and Gina's with me. And I, like I said, I had a couple of friends at this point that I knew were praying for me that I, I had let in, let in, you know, the circle. And I get in the, in the room, and, um, and listen, by the way, if you ever complain about me running late to an appointment for you, doctors should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> I was an hour and 15 minutes or so in that or hour in that waiting room, holding my wife's hand, waiting for, Mr. Smith, you have cancer. And so I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden, he walks in. I'm talking about no bedside manner. This is how he does it. Mr. Smith, 12 biopsies. All 12 of them came back. You don't have cancer. Congratulations. Any questions? Any questions? That was it. Thanks. We'll see you in a year. So I'm sitting there. Remember, the whole idea is now but for a little while. I walked out. I did everything I could to hold it together in that room. My wife is walking out with me. She's, her car's over here, and she looks at me, and tears are just, like, I can't see. I'm stumbling over my feet. And then I get in my car, and I lose it. Because it was there but for the grace of God. And that day, what I realized, I had two things that could happen that day. I could hear, you don't have cancer, now but for a little while, or you have cancer, and then I have eternity in front of me. That's hope. That regardless of the outcome, I knew God was in control. Regardless of what the doctor told me. Some of you are going through it right now. God has not left you, and he hasn't forsaken you. He is going to walk through every step, regardless if it's a healing on this side of eternity or the other side of eternity. Let me give you the third thing. We'll close right here. And this is important. Keep sowing seeds of hope in anticipation of a harvest to come. Don't stop sowing those seeds. Don't stop doing what God's called you to do. Don't stop. I love the way Winston Churchill said He said this, when you're going through hell keep going. Do you know why he said that? Because hell has borders. Hell has a starting point and it has an ending point. It's not like heaven where it's infinite. Your problems aren't like, like infinite. Your, part, your problems are going to stop at some point. And that's why he says here in the moment, I love this, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So even when, even when you're weeping, you're throwing seeds. Even when you're on the edge of despair, don't stop throwing those to Even when you seem like you're lost, even when everybody else has given up on you, even when you've given up on yourself, and dare I say that there's people in this room that feel this way, even when you feel like God's given up on you, He hasn't. This morning when I got up, I literally got up this morning at one o'clock and God gave me two words, two words. 
And God said, I want you to share them at every service. And they're simple. And I didn't realize why until I got to this point in the first service. Because I think our natural thing to do is to stop. When trouble comes, when problems come, we stop. We stop doing everything we're doing. And these are the two words. Don't quit. You are right on the verge of God doing something supernatural. Don't quit. Do not quit. Cast those things out. It may be in your marriage. Maybe your marriage isn't where you want your marriage to be. Don't stop. Don't stop doing stuff. Don't stop sowing seeds. Don't stop going to that conference. Don't stop doing that Bible study together. Maybe your maybe your kids. Maybe you're, like your kids are just going. Don't stop investing. Don't stop praying over them. Don't stop fasting over them. God will make right what seems to be crooked right now. Maybe it's you. Maybe. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe you're doubting. Whatever it is, don't stop. Don't quit. God's about to do something. In our lives, there's going to be times where it seems like God's not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. Missionary great William Carey said this. Oh, that I had been a smiling God or an earthly friend to whom I could unbosom my soul but my friend is at a great distance and God frowns upon my soul. Oh, oh, may his countenance be lifted upon again. There's absolute despair in this. Where are you, God? He was a missionary to India. Three years before the first person came to one of his services, before there was even a convert, he was all about to give up. And all of a sudden, God started to do something. This is what he says toward the end of his life. He said, I can plod. I can persevere in a definitive pursuit. To this, I owe everything now. He went from great despair to understanding his source of sustenance. That's hope. You may be weeping today. Keep sowing seeds. See, the greatest thing about the Christmas story is 2,000 years ago on that holy night, the promise of a savior that they had longed for and heard about. That little kid sat on their grandparents' knees and heard the stories. Luke chapter two is joy complete. It's hope for generations and generations. And it simply says this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That is hope. That is joy. That is finally seeing what God had planned for generations happen. And that's the way it is in our life. Can we pray together real quick? Heavenly Father, in this moment right here, my prayer is this. My prayer is that where we have had no hope, God, you demonstrate hope. Where we have had, as a matter of fact, we have the opposite of hope. It's been despair and confusion and frustration where we've had those, God, that you would fill our lives with hope. And the reason we have hope is because we have a Jesus. He understands every weaknesses, everything that we're going through. God, even this week is over certain circumstances in my life. I, I have quoted that scripture. It says, this is the day the Lord made I have also realized that the reason I can have great confidence even in the midst of struggles today is you've created that day. That means you've created the solution for that day also.
and it didn't catch you by surprise. You knew exactly what was going to happen today in every one of our lives. So I pray my big, my big, bold prayer is that everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everyone over in the atrium would put their hope in something that's worth putting their hope in. And that this Christmas season, as we're distracted by all the things, all supply chain issues and our gifts gonna get here, that we would hone it back and realize that the greatest gift that could ever be given is not sitting on a ship out in the Atlantic Ocean. That greatest gift can be found in God's word and lived out by asking him to come inside of us and live and take rule over our lives. God, let us do that. Let us understand and understand and understand and understand where real hope comes from. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net. 